All right, well, the only thing, the only good thing, I should say, that came out of this weekend, and it was probably the only good thing that happens this weekend, is there is a changing of the guard here at the station. I am no longer the station jinx now. Parker Thune is officially the station jinx. And a lot of people on social media agreed with me yesterday. Uh, Parker picked OU to sweep. And as we sit here all sad and upset on Monday, uh, the reason why OU baseball lost, that is right, that is correct, is because Parker Thune uh, jinxed the entire program on Friday. So uh, welcome in, Parker. Good to talk to you. Just wanted to let you know that I'm no longer the station jinx, but however you are. Okay, well, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to send that debate to the court of public opinion because I don't think you can be absolved of that title based on one outcome. But look, I, look, I will acknowledge it. I will own up to it here and now as we kick off locked in. I went full Jonestown. I drank the Kool Aid. Should I have known better? Probably. But with how well that team was playing baseball, I bit hook, line, and sinker, and I said, "Oh, you would sweep." Needless to say. That did not happen, so I apologize to all of you Sooner fans who were buying what I was selling on Friday because I was dead wrong. I mean, so. uh, you know, there were some families out there, Parker, that, you know, they, they made the decision to go to Omaha based on your prediction. They spent $2,000 for seats on Saturday and Sunday just to get in the park based off your prediction, so a lot of people lost money off what you had to say on Friday afternoon. Yeah, well, hey, you know what? Thankfully, Tyler, you were not one of those people. <laughs> uh, you successfully warded off uh, oh. my goading to make the trip up to Omaha, so oh. props to you on that. Yeah, but I had incredible FOMO on Saturday. Incredible FOMO. It felt like everyone I knew was in Omaha for the game, and then you watch the game and say to yourself, dang, it's like 90% Ole Miss fans in there. How's that, how is it to where I feel like everyone I know is there, but 90% of the crowd is Ole Miss? I don't know. Hey, I know there's a lot of big uh, football recruiting news. You know that we're going to get to it this hour. Uh, but that baseball loss yesterday was was tough. Cade Horton just shoved once again. He was fantastic. I, I think that he was probably – the story of the Omaha trip for OU and, and how well he performed, but we're going to be talking about that terrible call for a long time, Parker, and I call it a terrible call because, you know, by the rule, was it correct? I mean, maybe, but that throw was going to be wide regardless, and I it's hard for me not to sit here and say that that cost OU the baseball game yesterday. Yeah, well, yeah again, Tyler, look, and I, we talked about this right off the bat in the 12 o'clock hour when I came on with Steely. Uh, was it the correct call by the letter of the law? Sure. That doesn't change the fact that the letter of the law sucks. Yeah, exactly. And that the rule should not be applied the way that it is, and it certainly shouldn't be applied in such a circumstance as it was yesterday in the sixth inning because, you know, John Spikerman's just trying to run through first base. There's not an intent to interfere there, and he has a right to the baseline as much as the first baseman does. We can sit here and discuss semantics all day. I don't want to do that. Like I said right off the bat, by the letter of the law, this was the correct call. But <laughs> it's not a call that should be made. Exactly. And yeah. it's, it's a rule that should be revisited. And not only should the rule itself be revisited, but the fallout and the application of the rule should also be revisited because in no universe should Jackson Nicholas have been sent back to third 
and Kendall Pettis been sent back to first when interference was called upon replay review if the letter of the law made any sense, which it just doesn't. And it's okay to acknowledge that the correct call was made, and it's also okay to to acknowledge that that rule is blatantly stupid. Yeah, and and with all that being said, you're still up, what, two to one in the eighth inning. So even with that, even with that, uh, you you had a chance to to win the game with just six outs left, and unfortunately, you weren't able to do it. Peyton on the uh, Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439 is that number, by the way. Peyton says, I think what makes me the most mad about that call is that if it's a good throw and he's out at first, we score a run, let alone the fact that he launched that thing. Yeah, I mean, it totally changes the game. Uh, I mean, you take a run off the board, and then you have runners at second and third with one out. And I was about to tweet it out at the time. I said, whoa, and just that one play, it totally flipped the momentum. Totally flipped the momentum. Like, finally, for the first time that series, OU had all the momentum on their side. And who knows what happens when you have all the momentum on your side. It was the biggest play of the game. It was probably the single biggest call of the entire series. And it's unfortunate that it, um, that it went against OU. But you still had a chance to win, and you just couldn't get it done in the, in the latter stages, which was tough. And I, I know people are debating today whether to lead Kate, Kate Horton in, like that old decision. But um, just, just some, some real tough mistakes down the stretch, Parker, to find a way to lose that game. Yeah, and look, it's the criticism that Skip Johnson is facing today is purely outcome-based because if he decides to leave Cade Horton in and Horton is the one that blows the lead, Skip Johnson's taking criticism today for rolling with his starter too long instead of going with his ace reliever. It made all the sense in the world for him to turn things over to Trevin Michael at that point, and he did what every baseball coach worth their salt does in that situation. He told Cade Horton before he went out to the eighth inning, look, the second they get a base runner on against you, we're going to Trevin. And T.J. McCants hits the single up the middle. Skip goes out to the mound pulls out Horton in favor of Michael, who hadn't given up an earned run since his start in the Gainesville Regional. So, again, this was a move that made all the sense in the world. It just didn't pan out. And that happens sometimes. Yeah, It's baseball. Sometimes you make the right decision, and the outcome doesn't favor you. That's what happened to Skip Johnson and Oklahoma yesterday. I go back to 2018 when Oregon State won the national title over Arkansas. Uh, in what was an outstanding Game 3 contest. Oregon State's uh, pitcher in that game, the guy that they were rolling with, was a freshman by the name of Kevin Abel. And Oregon State's manager, Pat Casey, I believe I have that name correct. I I really should know for 100% certain, and I don't. But I believe Pat Casey is the head coach up at Oregon State. And he told Kevin Abel in the second inning when Abel loaded the bases, look, you let another runner on base, I'm pulling you. I don't care what the circumstance is. So you can keep going until you surrender another base runner. But once you do, we're going to go to the bullpen. Well, Kevin Abel set down 20 consecutive Arkansas Razorbacks after that, and they rode him all the way to the finish line. So that's that's what you can get, or you can get what you got yesterday for Skip Johnson in Oklahoma, which is Kate Horton gets the first out of the eighth via strikeout, then he gives up the hit and you got to pull him. But that's kind of the way a lot of baseball coaches operate. If they get a guy that's clearly tiring but also pitching really well, they'll say, 
look, here's the benchmark that we're going to set. If it comes to this, we're going to pull you out of the game, but until we get there, keep rolling. And if Cade Horton had gotten T.J. McCants out there, hey, maybe he finishes the eighth inning. Maybe the Sooners come out victorious. But, again, it's a lot of what-ifs, a lot of hypotheticals. In the moment, with the hand that Skip Johnson was dealt, I don't think there's any question that he made the right decision in going to Trevin Michael. And credit to Ole Miss, they just found a way, took advantage of some miscommunication between Michael and Jimmy Crooks, came up with a couple of timely hits, including a perfectly executed hit and run. And they're going back to Oxford today as national champions. All right. Uh, credit to them. Text line, take emotion out of this equation. And not to be disrespectful, but OU is set up perfect, perfect going into the series with Ole Miss. How big of a choke job was this series? Uh, this one says, quit being such a homer, Tyler. Yes, the rule sucks, but it didn't cost us the game. We just got beats, and getting beat sucks, but it happens. Still love those guys, but they came up just short. Um, the rule does suck, and I, I think that Ole Miss – was rewarded for a bad play, essentially. Like That's the issue that I have with it is, OU got... Uh, like, uh, that was a great play by OU. The The base running was good. The, the, the execution was good on the bump play. And they didn't get rewarded for that. In fact, they got punished. So I have a big issue that it turned out the way that it did for OU when, I, really, it was just... They, Ole Miss got the benefit of a terrible call. I, I don't think that I'm out of line here that's saying that was the biggest call of the game and the biggest call of the series. No, I don't have any concrete proof that it cost OU the game yesterday. But do I think that the outcome is different if that call goes OU's way yesterday? Yes! I think OU wins if that goes their way yesterday. And who knows how many more runs. Maybe they don't score any more runs after that. But you had second and third with one out, a golden opportunity. Maybe you get two more runs in that situation. Then the momentum clearly flip so I'll uh I'll I'll stick with my opinion Parker that that was the biggest moment of probably the entire championship series no it very obviously was Tyler and that's why we're leading with it on this show today is because it was that consequential and the biggest travesty of all is that Cade Horton didn't even get a decision for the outstanding game that he threw in the biggest moment of his life against an Ole Miss team that had been hitting everything heading into that contest he powered them all the way down only blemish on his performance was that solo home run by jacob gonzalez in the bottom of the sixth inning but 13 strikeouts a college world series finals record for the redshirt freshman 15 months removed from tommy john surgery three or i'm sorry four hits and one run over seven and a third innings you could have not asked for a whole lot more out of cade horton that was the biggest game of his life, and he delivered the performance of a lifetime. Unfortunately, it goes completely unrewarded yesterday. I didn't know you could multitask the way that you can. I'm very impressed. I had no idea that you could host a radio show and operate a table saw at the exact same time. I'm very, very impressed. I, I can hear uh, you. Do you. Can you really hear that? I can in the hear background? you working the table saw in the background while talking OU baseball, and I got to say, I'm very impressed. That's a very nice Man, job that's by wild. you. That's wild. So that's like. I'm sitting on the back porch of my parents' home in Omaha, Nebraska, getting ready to make the drive back to Norman as soon as we're off the air here. And, yeah, somebody's working a table saw like 150 yards away on the other side of the street. I, I, I'm impressed with this headset and this microphone, if you can hear it coming through. But, uh, yeah, look, I, with regard to this baseball team's performance in the championship series, going back to that text on the text line, 
the bottom line in the sport of baseball and in any sport is you can't win if you don't score. And the Sooners' bats went cold in the championship series. That's the other end. Their stars didn't play like stars, man. I mean, Kate Horton did, but outside that in the lineup, I mean, yeah, that they, they, they didn't hit, man. And they didn't yeah. – not only did they not hit, they didn't take advantage of opportunities when, when they had them. I – A lot of blame is going to be thrown on Trevin Michael for that game two loss, and I think that's unfair because the Sooners scored two runs on three hits yesterday, and one of those hits that resulted in one of those runs was a pop-up behind shortstop that realistically should have been caught. So the bats did not show up. They didn't show up on Saturday. They didn't show up on Sunday. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes you're just hitting what we call atom balls where – you square it up, but it just goes right to somebody. In Oklahoma's case, man, they were just – those at-bats were not good. A lot of those at-bats were very, very not good. And that was the most concerning aspect of the way that Saturday unfolded. It made me think uh, – it made me worry that maybe we are going to see something similar on Sunday. Lo and behold, we did, and the Sooners are virtually powerless offensively against the Ole Miss Miss pitchers, and that's really what cost them in this series, the inability to score runs. Yeah, no doubt. All right, uh, keep it coming on the Air Coverage Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. Yeah, OU baseball will continue to talk it, but there is a lot of uh, Cruton football news. OU gets a commit today. Uh, They have a huge weekend in Austin, and there's several high-profile targets out there for OU that uh, they're announcing when their decisions are, their top two, top three. So, yeah, football, Cruton, and baseball. Keep it locked right here on The Ref. We're the Homeless Sooner fans. Locked in with McComas and Thune live on The Ref. We are the Homeless Sooner fans. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune with you until... 3 p.m., let's talk a little OU football recruiting because they did get a commitment earlier this afternoon. Three-star offensive lineman out of the state of Washington. Parker, am I saying his last name correctly? Heath Ozeda? Is that how we say this? Ozeda. Ozeda. All right. Um, Okay. Three-star offensive lineman out of the state of Washington. Six-foot-six, 294. Offers from UCLA, Utah, Nebraska, Cincinnati, Arizona State, uh, and some others as well. And I I was starting to think this earlier today um, before the commit dropped. It's, you know, with who they already have in this class and some of the targets out there that you feel good about, oh, you've got a really nice chance here to put together a real solid uh, offensive line class, and uh, this only helps with this commitment today. It does, Tyler, and Ozide is a guy that's probably going to rise into blue-chip territory by the end of the cycle. Uh, he's long, he's athletic, he gets to the next level very quickly, finishes blocks adeptly, you mentioned the frame, six foot six, two hundred ninety-six pounds. So he's big. He's a lifelong Sooner fan, as are his parents, uh, who both hail from the state of Oklahoma originally. So this was, this was kind of the dream offer for Heath Ozida. He got it last Thursday. Didn't take long to lock it in with Oklahoma. And as you look ahead, man. Caden Green is going to be making his decision on July 8th. That's expected to go the Sooners' direction. July 23rd, you have Peyton Kirkland announcing Oklahoma's in it. I don't know if I would say they are the clear leader in Peyton Kirkland's recruitment, but they are a very, very big player, and it's not asinine to think that Oklahoma could end up with a commitment from him as well. So if you lock down two more blue-chip offensive tackles in the month of July to pair with Heath Ozida and Josh Bates, 
That's a coup. It's really good, especially man. Especially on the heels of a lighter offensive line class last year in which you only signed two guys in four stars, Jacob Sexton and Jake Taylor. Yeah, that, that could be, if you get those two tackles, it could almost feel like a situation, Parker, where, you know, obviously those guys come, come into OU together and, you know, maybe by year two or year three, those are four of your starting five offensive linemen. And by the time that they roll out of Norman, you're saying, yeah, dang, I, I remember when they got these four guys in that 23 recruiting class, and here we are now, they're all still playing together and they played a ton of football. So this kind of feels like, and, and I think that you have, you definitely have talent right now to build a good offensive line this season. I, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that. They got a ways to go, but I wouldn't be sh- just shocked if OU ends up having a good offensive line at some point. But this kind of feels like this is the future. What the what, the the guys that they get in this recruiting class, that's what the real future of this O line might look like in you know maybe as soon as two years. Yeah, well, you say that, Tyler, but I think the reality has become, for a a significant contingent of OU fans, it's almost like they would be shocked if Oklahoma has a competent offensive line at some point. I don't know where all the Bill Biedenboe slander has come from. I've said before, I think the Sooner struggles on the offensive line over the last couple of years have had a lot more to do with the strength and conditioning program and Benny Wiley than they've had to do with Bill Biedenboe. So now that you got Schmitty back in the fold, I do think the offensive line play at the University of Oklahoma is going to improve significantly. I think that starts this year in 2022. And look, some of these guys that they have already gotten here in the 2023 cycle or some of the guys that they have the opportunity to get can be big-time impact contributors for this offensive line down the road. Caden Green is going to be an absolute brick wall no matter where he lines up. I kind of get the feeling Peyton Kirkland ultimately ends up moving inside, and if OU gets him, uh, that's another dude that is going to be real hard to get past. Ozida probably needs to put on another 10, 15 pounds at least for you to feel really good about him physically, but if you turn on the tape, like I said, uh, this is a guy that knows how to dominate in the trenches and is phenomenal at sealing off lanes, getting to the next level, clear and pass for running backs. The question with him is pass protection, uh, plays for a pretty run-heavy uh, high school team, so maybe he needs some refining in that area. I'm not going to act like I've seen a ton of Heath Ozida, but from what the tape says, that's a dude that has a really high ceiling. And then in Josh Bates, you get a natural center that has an upside as high as anybody that you're going to sign in this 23 class. So yeah. Beatonbow has the makings of a really, really solid nucleus in this class along the offensive line. Now the question becomes, can you get Kirkland on July 23rd? Yeah. It looks like you're going to get Green on July 8th, but can you fend off Michigan State and Florida and Texas A&M and Miami to keep Kirkland? Yeah, you mentioned Caden Green. Um, LSU, OU, Nebraska, and Missouri. Uh, he, he tweeted out yesterday, it's about that time, and had um, he in a uh, uniform of all, of all four of those schools. You think that OU's the favorite here? Okay. Um, if there is a real clear-cut number two, who is it? Is it LSU, Nebraska, Missouri? Who do you have to watch here late as we get closer to his decision time? Uh, I, I guess Nebraska, but man, this he, he's been all OU for so long. He was born in Tulsa, has grown up a Sooner fan, would have gone to Union High School if he hadn't moved. So 
I don't know if there is a clear number two just because that's how confident I am at this point that Caden Green is going to be a Sooner. I don't think OU fans have to sweat too much with regard to that one. Uh, Also, additional news today as far as pending decisions for a couple targets. We're going to have a decision from Sammy Omasigo this Thursday. OU Florida. OU in Florida. Uh, He'll be committing at 4 p.m. and... If this tells you where this one's trending, uh, as I mentioned with Steely, I'm going to be down in Crandall, Texas for his announcement. So looking like good news will be on the horizon for Oklahoma in that one. Then you got Derek LeBlanc, man, high-end, four-star defensive lineman out of Osceola, Florida, has the opportunity to be a five-star at the end of the cycle. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily count on it, but that's where he's at right now, on the very high end of the four-star spectrum. Down to Oklahoma, Florida, and Penn State. He's announcing alongside Kirkland on July 23rd. So that is another recruitment where there's a lot of buzz that maybe OU is in position to pull a big-time target out of the Sunshine State. We'll see. I do think OU leads as of right now, but I also think both UF and Penn State are going to have something to say in this race before it's all said and done. So yeah. July 23rd is a really, really pivotal day if you're an Oklahoma recruiting fan. Because yeah. you could end up with one or both of Peyton Kirkland and Derek LeBlanc, or you could end up with neither. Yeah, well, I, going head up uh, against Florida for Omasigo and, and LeBlanc, if you're able to beat out Florida for both of those guys, I think that's huge, man, because I, I've made it pretty clear. I, I like that new. I like Billy Napier at Florida. I like that staff of about 500 individuals that they have right now. I think Napier is going to win at a high level at Florida. I think they're coming. I'm, I don't think that they're necessarily going to be elite this year, but by year two or year three, I think Florida is really going to be pushing Kirby Smart in Georgia in the SEC East. I think they're already making waves in recruiting right now, Florida is. So so if you're able to go head up on those guys, especially a guy from the state of Florida, and and get him out of the Sunshine State, I think that that's a big message that you are. And I think they're already going to be a big-time player in the state of Florida talking about OU. But that's a real message there, Parker, that we'll, we'll go head up with Florida. We'll do it with Miami and Florida State and Georgia and Alabama or whoever else is trying to tap into the state of Florida. But we're going to have a presence down there in that talent-rich area, and we're going to be able to get kids every single signing class. I, I, I think that these two in particular uh, going up against the Gators is pretty massive. I, here's the thing about Florida right now, Tyler. They are not doing a great job in terms of recruiting. And the big wigs in the state of Florida right now, the teams that are pulling talents out of the Sunshine State, uh, or, or rather keeping guys home. Uh, Alabama always does a phenomenal job recruiting that state, but it kind of feels like Miami might become more of a threat with those Sunshine State kids than Florida will. Well, because I mean, they right got now, a huge commitment this weekend from four-star quarterback yeah, Jade Rashada, that, that, which there's drama, of course, surrounding that one, which is great. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, all the discourse on that whole process and how he chose Miami over Florida and others has been fascinating to read up on. And I kind of I kind of stayed on the uh, precipice. I stayed kind of out on the fringe of that recruitment after OU dropped out with the commitment of Jackson Arnold. But uh, just kind of reading the tea leaves over the course of the last few months, always kind of felt like Miami would be the destination for Rashada at the end of it all, especially once he booked that late official visit towards the end of the cycle. And 
He does end up a hurricane. That really, that really hurt Florida because they had all their eggs in that basket, and they were hoping for him to be the keystone of their 2023 recruiting class. Florida needs momentum in a big way. And does that mean opening up the pocketbook with NIL dollars? I Perhaps. I think that's going to happen. As a matter of fact, probably. But with the way things are trending right now on the trail for Florida, I'd almost be more worried about Penn State with LeBlanc. And I really wouldn't be worried about UF with Omasego. I think that one is... Uh, lock, stock, and barrel headed to Oklahoma. Uh, by the way, OU now, this is 24-7 sports rankings. The 37th overall class, eight commitments. You've got one five-star, one four-star, and six uh, three-stars. Florida, who we're talking about, right behind at number 38. They got eight commits as well, four four-stars and four three-stars. Miami, who we also mentioned, uh, eight commits as well, two four-stars and six three-stars for uh, the U up there at 35. Um, Texas, you know, we talked about a month ago, like, dang, um, Texas is not having a great start to this recruiting class. They get Arch Manning and everything has come together. Texas shoots all the way up into the top five this weekend. They now have 14 commits. The Arch Manning effect, we thought it was going to be real, and, and here it is. Texas had a massive weekend, kind of a week to remember for the Horns now that they're all the way in the top five. Dang. Yeah, I mean, how many, how many schools get five commitments in a day? Tyler. Anyway, you slice it. That was a banner day, banner weekend for Texas on the recruiting trail in the aftermath of Arch Manning's commitment. They get four offensive linemen yesterday Trevor Gooseby, Connor Stroh, Andre Kojo, and Jaden Chapman. Then you also get four star wide receiver Jonah Wilson in the fold as well. So a lot of momentum right now for the University of Texas. I, what I will be most curious about. Because, as I said with Steely, and I'll say it again here, I don't think this impacts Jaquay's Petaway's recruitment a whole lot. I think he's still all OU based on the conversations I've had. I will be interested to see if this sways Colton Vasek at all, the four-star edge rusher out of Austin, Westlake, who appeared to be trending towards Oklahoma and Oregon as his top two in recent weeks. Now, all of a sudden... Texas maybe crawls back into the picture a little bit more than they were before because Vasek is a UT legacy, and the word for a while was he just wanted out of Austin. Uh, and that kind of had to do with how tenuous things were on the 40 acres. But now you get Arch Manning committed. You get a lot of momentum on the recruiting trail with those four offensive linemen and those couple wideouts that Texas was able to bring in over the last few days. And all of a sudden, man, maybe this makes the race for Colton Vasek a little more interesting than we thought it was going to be. I don't know at this point if it's enough to keep him home, but I would say watch for Texas in that race because if there's one that they could make interesting, legitimately interesting at this point in time, and one that would directly impact Oklahoma – it's the recruitment of Colton Bass. Yeah, uh, one more before we hit a break. Has the buzz for Peyton Kirkland around Michigan State died down any, or is this an OU-Michigan State battle? Brought that up late last week because there was a couple crystal balls that rolled in for Michigan State, and I said, whoa, whoa what? What is this? And, and what you relayed to me is like every team that thinks that they're in right now uh, thinks they have a real chance at this guy. So from the, from the outside here, Parker, I don't think Michigan State is going to be – 
I don't even know if the main threat, but the team that ends up with Peyton Kirkland, it was just interesting that those crystal balls came in late for him last week. Yeah, it is interesting, Tyler. And, again, like I touched on Friday, Peyton Kirkland is the type of kid to go on a visit and leave everybody there convinced that he wants to be at that school. So you have to take everything with several grains of salt in his recruitment. OU's in a very good spot, a very, very good spot. And I want to be completely unambiguous about that. The school, in my eyes, that is probably worth watching down the stretch here, sure, Michigan State factors into the picture. I don't want to completely discount Michigan State. But I do think Miami becomes an intriguing destination because Jaden Rashada has already taken to social media to start publicly peer recruiting Peyton Kirkland to follow him to the U. So I would... I would be wary of Miami with the momentum that they've accrued on the trail in recent days, especially with Rashada's commitment, and I don't think Michigan State should be completely disregarded. I feel good about OU, but I don't feel any better about OU than I do about two or three other schools necessarily at this point in time with Kirkland. So I think that is one, much like Derek LeBlanc, where nobody's going to be 100% certain where he ends up until the day he puts on the hat. There you go. Uh, in case you missed it, OU does get a commitment today from Heath Ozida, three-star offensive lineman out of the state of Washington, UCLA, Utah, Nebraska, Cincinnati, Arizona State, just a handful of teams that offered Ozida six foot six, 294 pounds. So he's commit number eight in the 2023 class. All right, taking a break. We'll be back on the other side with more Sooners. Keep it locked on the ref. We're the homeless Sooner fans. Locked in with McComas and Thune, live on the ref. We're the homeless Sooner fans, elite roofing system. Bringing you this hour of Locked In. They're servicing all of Oklahoma's roofing needs. Locally owned and operated, headquartered in Norman and Tulsa, and serving customers in the greater Oklahoma City area since 2010. Give Elite Roofing Systems a call today, 405 361 3094. That's their Oklahoma City office. Tulsa, 918 984 5475 or eliteroofing.com. Elite Roofing Systems bringing you this hour of Locked In. I guess the Manning Passing Academy was this past weekend. They have it every single year, and it kind of turns into the who's who of college quarterbacks in the South. So you had um, Bryce Young was there, Stetson Bennett was there, all of LSU's quarterbacks were there, uh, A&M's Max Johnson was there, John Reese Plumley was there, uh, Will Levis from Kentucky was there, Spencer Rattler was there as well, and according to 24-7 Sports Parker, here's how Spencer Rattler fared amongst the you know better quarterbacks in the, in the South. He won a competition Friday evening in which he threw a 40-yard pass into a basketball hoop and won a year's supply of Raising Canes. That sounds pretty awesome. Nice job, Rattler. But apparently, other than that, he had a very inconsistent camp. The consensus among those in attendance was that Rattler struggled on Friday night but did look better in, uh, in, in it appeared to be in more rhythm on Saturday. So, interesting to uh... up that up and down. Wasn't Rattler's first NIL deal that was publicly announced with Raising Cane? I think so it, it was, would, yeah. Yeah, it would make yeah. all the sense in the world that he won that challenge because uh, he kind of had to. So, uh, I, look, I have been among those that have been saying from the get-go, as soon as he committed to South Carolina, I think Rattler's going to have 
a bounce back year in 2022 down in Columbia. I'm really excited to see what he does because I knowing what we know now, it makes a lot more sense why he struggled in 2021 at Oklahoma. It makes a lot more sense. And he gets a fresh start going to South Carolina. He has some familiarity. He's going to have Austin Stogner to throw the ball to. He's going to have some talent on both sides of the ball. He's going to have great coaching. He's going to have a guy in Shane Beamer at the helm that's not going to let Rattler get too big for his britches and is also not going to check out on him midway through the season. Yeah. So, uh, or midway through September, for that matter. So, I am excited to see what Spencer Rattler does. The question with him has never been the arm talent. It's always been the decision-making. And it's a lot easier to fix poor decision-making than it is to develop arm talent because some guys are just born to play the quarterback position. Spencer Rattler is one of those guys. He has always had one of the best arms at any level for any quarterback in the entire country. His arm is truly elite. And so if the coaching at South Carolina and the tutelage uh, that he develops underneath down in Columbia can help him improve upon his decision-making to the point where uh, he's making those pinpoint throws with dexterity and I, I, I guess the big thing for Rattler last year was trying to fit balls into windows where it just didn't make sense to throw. And he, he got a little too confident in his arm talent. That can happen with a guy that can throw the ball as well as he can. And so uh, I think the biggest thing for him is not trying to do too much with his arm talent, relying on his arm, trusting it, sure, but also being smart with where he goes with the football. And I think he has the opportunity – to potentially win double-digit games at South Carolina. Uh, yeah, I, I hope so. I'm, I'm not going to say that they're – I'll probably say that they won't get close to winning double-digit games. I, I, I do wonder what his O-line's going to look like. If that's shaky, I think there's a chance that he's shaky. Just mostly because they got a tough schedule, man. I, I mean, two out of your first three games, you got to go to Arkansas in Week 2. That's going to be a tough game. And then you got to play Georgia in Week 3. You also got to go to Kentucky. Kentucky's going to be a good football team this year. You got A&M at home uh, over from the West. You got to go to Florida. Uh, of course, you play Tennessee. You got to go to Clemson. If he wins, if South Carolina wins 10 games, he better be in New York City because it's going to take that type of effort, I think, for South Carolina to win double-digit games this year. There's a lot of tough games on that schedule, man. I, I'd say that half of the games are going to be really, really difficult. I hope it happens for him. I hope it happens for South Carolina. I'm rooting for him. I, I'm just skeptical. I think that they may be somewhere around, I, I don't know, maybe the third at best uh, team in the SEC East this year because I think the East yeah, is actually going to be pretty good. Well, the SEC is tough any way you slice it, but I think it's perfectly realistic for South Carolina to win nine games in the regular season and get the tenth victory in the bowl game. That's kind of, and I think that's a fair expectation to have for this team based on what they did last year. They won seven games. They went to a bowl in Shane Beamer's first year as head coach. It was a significant improvement over their two wins from the 2020 campaign, but with as much talent as they brought in and with as much as they upgraded at the quarterback position, you remember their week one starter last year was Zeb Nolan, Tyler. Yeah. So they have upgraded significantly 
at QB. If Rattler is all he's cracked up to be and he has gotten his head right from the 2021 campaign, this South Carolina team can be scary. And it's not going to be easy to win games against teams like Clemson. I don't think South Carolina is going to beat Georgia. But I think they have the firepower at this point in time where they can at least give Clemson a game, and it wouldn't shock me if they beat Dabo Sweeney and the Tigers. Um, it's been a while since they've beaten them, but uh, hopefully this is the year they finally break through and uh, beat Dabo because, it's yeah, it's been a while. All right, let's get to a few texts before we hit a break real quick. Uh, this one says, do we have to pay players to commit to OU? No, OU does not have to pay players to commit to them. Uh, this one says, anything on Phil Picciotti? Phil Picciotti just came off his official visit to Auburn. Uh, he's now OV'd with all four of his finalists. And, look, I think a decision is coming soon for Phil Picciotti. My crystal ball favors Oklahoma right now, and I stand by that. I think as soon as we knew that Penn State was out of the picture, it became pretty evident that OU was in the driver's seat. I don't think that has changed. I think in the not-too-distant future, potentially in the month of July, there you go again, I think Phil Picciotti is going to be jumping on board with Oklahoma. July got a chance to be, um, well, the biggest summer month, probably going to be the biggest summer month for OU when it comes to uh, recruiting. Uh, one more, why uh, why isn't Arch competing at the Elite 11? We know that Jackson Arnold is. Um, Arch Manning was at the Manning Passing Academy this past weekend. Didn't throw because of a uh, minor wrist injury, but why isn't he at the Elite 11? Uh, well, Tyler. Is he not good enough? Wait, wait, I just, I just, listen. I'm not going to – how can I phrase this? I'm going to give you some simple facts, and I want you to read into them. As Just you say would. he's not good enough if he's not good no, enough. For the, most part, for the most part, Arch has never done seven-on-seven seven in high school. He has never done elite camps. He did not throw at the Manning Passing Academy, and he is not competing at the Elite Eleven. What does that tell you? He's about scared him? of competition. That's what not, he is. And, this, and I'm not. I'm not trying to insinuate that he's scared of competition. What I am trying to say is that perhaps there is a realization from Arch Manning's camp that if he performs alongside 20 of the other top prep signal callers in the country, it's going to become evident that Arch Manning isn't the clear-cut number one overall prospect in the cycle and the tape that he's put up against two-way competition in the state of Louisiana isn't the greatest indicator of the type of talent that he is. That's all I'm trying to say here. All right, we got uh, several texts that we have to get to. You guys are killing it, as always. Appreciate it. 405-651-3439. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we'll answer as many of these texts as we can on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. So keep it locked on the ref. We're the homeless Suter fans. All right, final segment locked in with McComas and Thune. Parker heading back from Omaha as soon as we get off the air today. He'll be back with me in studio on Tuesday. Air Comfort Solutions text line says, is July a make or break for this recruiting class? Parker, uh, I don't know if I'll go as far to say it's a make or break, but like last night, for instance, I uh, I, I got a tweet from, from someone you know asking if they should be concerned with the OU football recruiting class. And I, I said no to that individual. I, I think the month of July could really calm everyone's nerves on where recruiting is if July goes your way. And you could roll into August feeling really, really good about where this 23 class stands. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at what's happened in the month of June already, Tyler. Four commits for Oklahoma, and I know the Crimson Chicken Littles are looking at what Texas did in a single day yesterday with five commits, and saying, well, four commits isn't enough. But you look ahead to July, there could be a whole bunch. And, look, I think the Sooners will add their fifth commitment of the month on Thursday in Samuel Omasigo. And July, man, you could have a lot of decisions go in favor of Oklahoma from guys like Phil Picciotti and P.J. Adabare who don't have definite dates set to guys like Caden Green and Peyton Kirkland and Derek LeBlanc who do have definite dates set. Yeah, so July will be a big month, and uh, we'll be covering it all on Locked In, that's for sure. Jeremy says, so with Texas having commits on the O-line and eight from last cycle, how many transfers next season? I was thinking about that as well when I saw the news over the weekend from Texas because in their eyes, they signed this historic recruiting class, and maybe it is. Time will tell. It's not like Texas has been great on the offensive line uh, here recently, but their offensive line numbers, um, I don't know if they think that they're full up but they got to be pretty close just from the past two uh, recruiting classes yeah agreed it creates more problems than it solves when you take that many offensive linemen over the course of two cycles i mean 12 offensive linemen in two years that's unheard of and so i am interested to see how texas plays the numbers game but i do think they're gonna have some guys that either get processed or just choose to transfer out all right all right that'll do it uh, for locked in um drive home safe from omaha that six and a half hour drive However long it is, I hope it treats you well. Appreciate you, man. Hopefully it uh, goes quickly. It usually does, just because I've made it so many times. There you go. All right. The Rush is coming up next. Keep it locked on the ref. We're the homeless Sooner fans.